our, our ultimate parent, and everything about you uh, speaks to uh, what it is to be not just a mother, but also a father, and all these characteristics of love and self-sacrifice and care that you give to us. Uh, Lord Jesus, we also want to honor you and recognize you as our, our, uh, our Savior, Redeemer, Rescuer, and Deliverer. We thank you for delivering us ultimately from Satan, sin, and death, and spiritual darkness. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would burden our hearts today to consistently be, be praying for others in our church family and even outside of our church family who need deliverance from whatever is standing in their way and discouraging them. Would you help us to, to live or seek to live lives that honor you, Jesus, that uh, display uh, full courage and fruitful labor for you? And Lord, as we deal with this issue of death today in our passage, we pray that you would help us... Uh, Die deaths that would honor you as well, and not just live lives that honor you, but also honor you in the way uh, in our final days that we are here on earth before we go on to be with you. In this moment, I ask for your power and help, Holy Spirit, and your anointing. Help me to speak your words, not mine, for your glory and credit alone. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, but that is far better, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Thank you very much, Edgar. We're continuing our current sermon series on the book of uh, Philippians. It is called To Live as Christ, and we're working our way through this entire book, uh, verse by verse. The title of today's message is simply Joy in Life and Joy in Death. Joy in Life and Joy in Death. And to introduce today's big idea, I want you to think about, have you encountered that person uh, in your life who, who shows off sort of this tireless joy, this indomitable positivity, if I can call it that. Nothing brings this person down. They seem to have sort of a, a genuine, concrete, perma-smile on their face. They're very positive. They're just smiling all the time. And it's legit. It's, it's authentic. It's not fake. Sadly, uh, this person is not me. But this positive, joy-filled, always optimistic kind of person... I am very jealous of, aren't you, if you're not this person? 
Um, for example, they might be the person that would say, I lost my job today. No worries. I'm sure there's a better job for me that God's given me that's just around the corner. Or they say, this health emergency that I am suffering through and experiencing that is debilitating in every way, this is simply an opportunity for me to grow in character and toughness and resilience. And it's, it's an opportunity. And they say it with a smile. I mean, this person of indomitable positivity, yes, they might annoy us at times, but you've got to admire their ability to choose joy, to radiate joy in all circumstances. My step-grandmother was this person. There might be a picture on the screen of her. There she is in the middle. And uh, her name was Anna. And uh, she was this kind of person. She lived uh, only until she was 103 years old, so a very short time to live. But she really exuded joy. So this is how I remember her, always smiling, like you see in the picture there. And, I'm sorry? That is not me. That is my ugly brother. Just joking. <laughs> He's not ugly. Uh, how can I say that? <laughs> That's my grandfather on the left and my great-grandma on the right. And she died when she was 98. So there's... Uh, so I'll be sticking around for a while, for good or for bad, it seems like. And my grandfather lived till he was 98 as well. It's like, what's going on? Something in the water, I guess. So if you had hopes that I would just sort of be, just bump off here, it probably is not going to happen, sadly. But anyhow, <laughs> as I digress, she was a person with a genuine smile on her face. And, you know, she went through some hard times. Uh, she had several kids. I don't know whether there's an eight or nine or ten. This is my step-grandmother I'm speaking about. And several of her kids walked away from Christianity, and that just, it just, it was really tough. And, uh, you know, when you live that long, you go through multiple husbands, okay? And it was tough. The first husband passed away. I think he might have been an alcoholic. And uh, so anyhow, despite all that she went through for a very long time, she always exuded this genuine joy, joy in life, joy in death, as she looked forward to finally going home to be with Jesus forever. You see, with Christ's help, it seemed like nothing could bring this woman down. And it's the same sort of indomitable spirit we see in our passage um, as Paul describes his own personal life and his own circumstances at the time of writing of Philippians. And there's a lot from Paul's example and instruction that we can learn from, glean from, and be encouraged by when we face life and death and desire to do so with joy in either case. So let's, let's dive into the pool. The first thing that I want to share with you as we get into this passage, uh, let's look at this passage from the bird's eye view in the context and the background. Uh, the, the writer of Philippians is the Apostle Paul. And he finds himself at the time of writing in jail, likely under house arrest in ancient Rome. And he is being guarded by the imperial guard. This is Emperor, Emperor Nero's own special cohort of guards. And, and while he's there under house arrest in Rome, it sounds like probably church members from the, the Roman church that are meeting there, they're coming in periodically, if not daily, to visit Paul in prison, take care of his needs. And they're actually, anytime they hang around Paul under house arrest, they're being inspired by Paul. They're, it's like a good thing for them to see Paul in jail. They're, they're getting something from Paul. They're not just giving to Paul, okay? And it's because Paul, while under house arrest, 
is talking about Jesus. He's, He's sharing the gospel, advancing the gospel there, sharing the gospel with the guards, with the staff, with everyone in and around him. He will not be stopped from advancing the gospel no matter where he happens to be. He wants to reach lost people for Jesus, you see. And so that's in the backdrop. That's the that's the overview of our passage and what's happening in the big picture. Furthermore, it sounds like Paul, in this passage, he is assuming that he's likely going to be released from house arrest here, from prison, yet he's kind of hedging his bets. There's a chance that this could be it, okay? He could be looking at capital punishment, uh, death for preaching about Jesus. He's, he is under arrest for the charge for the horrible crime of speaking about Jesus. Can you imagine that? But that was the crime, that so-called crime that he was committing. And uh, that leads us to number one. There is a sermon outline in your bulletin if you do want to follow along. And number one out of three points is this in your notes. Simply four words. Pray for others' deliverance. Pray for others' deliverance. Think about the people in your life right now who they need help. They need deliverance from all kinds of tough situations, tough circumstances. I want to show you uh, and revisit verse 19 in our passage, and it says, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. There it is. And so here we see Paul, he's asking the church family, kind of like us, this Philippian church family, would you guys pray? Please pray. Pray to Jesus that I would be delivered. That's what he's asking them to do. Now again, what does Paul want to be delivered from? Well, he wants to be delivered from being under house arrest, as I spoke about, or from being delivered from this life, okay? Meaning, death is the gateway of deliverance to go on to be with Jesus in a much better place, onwards and upwards to heaven, and we're going to look at that and examine that later. Now, this is a little bit morbid, because we're going to talk about the death of Paul here. And he did die. And there's some argument, though, Uh, Really, two sides, two beliefs about how and when Paul died and passed away. Most Bible scholars do believe that Paul actually was not delivered from being under house arrest here. That sure enough, a couple years after the writing of Philippians here, um, he was delivered up to heaven via death. Okay, So he spent years under house arrest, and then he underwent a beheading by... Uh, during the, the time of Nero, Emperor Nero's reign, okay? So that's, that's a tough way to go. However, some other Bible scholars do believe that he lived on. He lived a few more years longer, that he was released from being under house arrest, and then he went west to Spain, preached the gospel there, help people become Christians there, gather these new Christians into various churches in Spain, but then was later rearrested by the Romans and then beheaded seven years later, okay? So there's all this disagreement about when and how this happened, but the point is, the point is, in our passage, Paul is counting on the prayers of deliverance, asking his church family, please pray for me that I would be delivered one way or the other here, all right? One way or the other. This reminds me of a situation I heard in the news just a few months ago. You may remember this in the news uh, about a recent situation. This, this was an American pastor and missionary. His name is Andrew Brunson. Andrew Brunson, he spent two full years under house arrest, kind of like Paul here, 
in the nation of Turkey. Turkey, as you know, is very much a Muslim nation. Uh, I don't know whether it's illegal to be a Christian there. I don't think it is. But anyhow, the Turkish government, they accused this pastor of illegal political activities, basically working with the Kurds to undergo a coup attempt of the president of Turkey. Thing is, though, Brunson, he denies all of this. He was not there to work a coup attempt at all. He was only there to preach the gospel and to start a a, a fledgling church plant and to lead this group of Christians in Turkey. So just imagine, imagine this happening. You're in this nation, it's mostly Muslim. There's almost no churches at all, almost no Christians at all. And then all of a sudden, your pastor of your fledgling church plant is jailed, wrongly, falsely accused. What do you do at that point? You pray, and pray for deliverance, they did. And not only did this one church and the Christians in it pray desperately for their their pastor that he wouldn't be killed in prison, but so did hundreds and hundreds of other churches around the globe. Uh, If not thousands of Christians start getting on their knees, praying that their pastor, this pastor, would be delivered from these accusations and the circumstance. What happened? What was the end result of all these prayers? Well, Pastor Brunson was released, finally released, uh, by the Turkish authorities. His family, his wife is ecstatic, of course. That's a good sign, okay? And his church family was ecstatic. Christians around the world, we were all ecstatic. It was a good time. We were thrilled. The fact is, Jesus heard those prayers, and he answered. He delivered this guy from certain death. Prayer changes things. Prayer does change. He hears us and he acts, not always in the way that we expect or want, but he does respond to our prayers every time. Here's what what I want you to do in this moment as you're thinking about the people in your life. Think about what names of people, which people can I identify right now who need, who desperately need some sort of deliverance? Someone in your church, someone in your workplace, someone in your neighborhood. For example... Is there someone in your life right now whose marriage needs some something? It needs deliverance. It needs rescue because it ain't going well at all. Or is there someone in your workplace? They're undergoing a health emergency of some kind. It seems like everyone, so many people dealing with health issues right now. Or is there someone in your family or extended family who is taking all kinds of heat for their beliefs in Jesus in their workplace? You know, Increasingly, it seems like to, to be a, a church-going Christian is just seen as a weird act. Like, why would you do that, you know? And so, what names of people come to mind? What about this category? What people in your life are not yet Christians? Who is not yet a follower of Jesus? Do they, do they need deliverance? They need deliverance. They need their, their sins forgiven. They need heaven in their future instead of judgment by God, you know, and they need our desperate prayers for deliverance that God, by his Holy Spirit, would open their hearts to hear and receive the gospel and respond to Jesus, and they need our prayers of deliverance as well. So here's my list, okay? I've got some, some people on my list who need desperate prayers of deliverance, and there are three names of people who are not yet Christians that I pray for, There's a name of a person going through a health emergency that I'm praying for. There are others in my life 
uh, that I will pray to Jesus for deliverance. And let's do this together. Let's do this together in a consistent, regular kind of way. Who do you need to pray for? Who needs deliverance right now? And maybe you need deliverance. Talk to me. We'll get our elder team praying for deliverance on your behalf, whatever your situation is. That's number one. Secondly, in your notes, the second thing that we see in this passage is this. To seek to honor Christ in your life with full courage and fruitful labor for him and others. Seek to honor Christ in your life with full-on courage and fruitful labor for him and others. The ways in which you and I and our church family honor Jesus in our lives is by courageously and boldly trusting in Jesus no matter what and by fruitfully laboring for Jesus and other people. We see this in uh, verses 20 to 25. Let's read it together again, okay? Here's what it says. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, there it is, full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, meaning stay alive, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Do you, do you hear that tension going on here within Paul? Tension between living or dying, because dying is gain. No better place for anybody to be than in the presence of Jesus in heaven. No more sadness, no more suffering, no more pain. That's a good place to be. It doesn't get any better. So that's in his future. He knows it. He's confident of it. But the problem is, this Philippian church here that he's writing this letter to, they need the guy They need his Bible teaching. They need his leadership. They need his discipleship and training up in the ways of Jesus. They need Paul's love. And so my sense is that even though death is a major promotion here, is a major good thing, it's gain for Paul, he still desires, I I need to stick around for you guys. I need to be around here. I need to help this church family. I need to help more people become Christians in this church family. And then I need to help train them up to become disciple-making disciples of Jesus for God's glory. I got more work to do. You guys need me. All right. I want to shift here to two key ways that Paul does the work of Jesus. There are two angles, two ways in which he does the work of Jesus and ministry. Um, Here's the first one. He does it with full courage And secondly, fruitful labor. This is how uh, Paul does the work of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus. He does it with full courage and also fruitful labor. Fruitful labor. Let's talk first of all about full courage. Full courage. What is full courage? Well, full courage is not a sliver of courage. It is not half courage. It is not partial courage. We are speaking about full-on, all-out courage and confidence. I am confidently trusting in Jesus. I am confidently trusting in the power of Jesus. I am confidently trusting in the the message, the gospel about Jesus. I am full-on trusting that Jesus is going to guide and direct me. This is full courage. And it's like Paul's approach to serving Jesus and other people is, look, either I'm all in or I'm all out. 
So I'm all in, he's saying. I'm all in for you, Jesus. I'm fully relying on you. I'm fully depending on you. I got nothing without you. I am boldly, courageously doing ministry for you. Jesus, I will die for you. I will die boldly for you, which later happened. It did happen. I mean, he, he believed this stuff, man. Now, full courage. Now, let's talk about fruitful labor. What is that? And you might like fruit. So if you get fruitful labor. I, I, it's a stretch for me. I like some fruit. Uh, but anyhow, we're not talking about fruit objectively here. We're talking about subjective fruit. This is, these are good results, good things that happen when you serve Christ. And let's talk about this fruit uh, that comes from laboring for Christ. Fruit, for example, would be non-Christians becoming Christians. That's good fruit. Other fruit can be seeing Christians we train and disciple. Well, now this person that I've trained and discipled in the ways of Jesus, now they're training someone else in the ways of Jesus as well. And on and on. There's a reproduction, multiplication aspect there as well. That's fruitful labor for Christ, you see? There's also fruit in the sense of seeing more and more people in the Mercy Hill Church family, more of us are being changed and transformed by the powerful grace of God. We are displaying more and more the holiness of God in our real everyday lives. We're seeing more spiritual fruit, the love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. More of that is being displayed in our lives. That is fruitful labor. Another example, maybe we're seeing healthier and stronger marriages in our church family. Maybe we're seeing parents lovingly discipling their own children in the ways of Jesus. This is fruitful labor. Now, in looking at what full courage means, and we're looking at what fruitful labor means, I want you to look at yourself as a Christian. If you are a Christian, I want you to think about right now, what does full courage in my workplace look like for Jesus? What does full courage look like in my family? What does full courage look like wherever I go? And what does fruitful labor look like for me? And what needs to adjust to sort of be more about that, um, as Paul exemplified for us? That's number two. Let's move on to the third point that we see in this passage. And thirdly in your notes is this. Simply seek to honor Christ in your death. This is a little bit morbid here, okay? Seek to honor Christ in your death as you depart and be with him as you depart and be with him and this is what happens for the christian death is gain death is gain as he describes let me reread verses 20 21 and 23 paul says as it is my eager expectation and hope that i will not this is really the key i will not be at all ashamed i will not be at all ashamed but that with there it is again full courage now as always Christ will be honored in my body whether by life or by death for to me to live is Christ to die is gain I am hard pressed between the two my desire is to, to depart and be with Christ for that is far better so the, the main phrase there is not to be at all ashamed and what we see again is this tension but the fact that he desires to not be ashamed means he is thinking Look, I'm probably going to die for my faith here. And this could be it. This could be it here any day now. And his hope is that I will not do anything to denigrate the name of Jesus as I'm facing imminent death here. 
That will, I, will do, I will resist the temptation to renounce my faith because some Christians were doing that in that time of persecution under the Roman authorities. They would actually put, confront them and say, look, if you give up your faith in Christ, you can live. Like they would make it that direct. If you don't give up your faith in Christ, you're going to die. I mean, it was happening all over the place and some Christians gave in to that temptation. And so Paul is indirectly saying and praying, that he doesn't want to go there. He doesn't want to shame the name of Christ here at all. He doesn't want to name, shame him at all. But as we discover, and as I mentioned, he is later martyred for his faith in Jesus. So it's hard for us to imagine that. Unless you're in an Arab country, Middle East, and in various parts of North India, there are Christians dying all the time for their faith. And Nigeria as well. Um, and so it is happening around the globe in various places. Now, we can't imagine that here, but it could turn into something like that in the coming decades and years to come. But that's another sermon for another day. As I mentioned, Paul's feeling this tension. I need to stick around for this church. This church needs me. Or I could be promoted and go on to be with Jesus by way of death. I can finish the race. But let me explain here. Maybe you're asking the question, what exactly happens to a Christian at the time of death? And the NIV Zondervan Study Bible explains these verses a little more concretely for us and clearly. So here's a good long quote for you. It says, Before the final day of Christ Jesus, those who die, so this is the day of Christ's return, so before that happens, if a Christian dies, you go on to joyful fellowship with Christ immediately. Believers do not cease to exist at death in order to be recreated again from scratch later. Rather, they go to be with Christ spiritually, which is better by far than being beset by sin and suffering. But that is still not God's final purpose. Ultimately, at the final resurrection of all believers, the day of Christ's return, right? God will restore fellowship between believers and Christ that is both physical and undisturbed by the effects of the fall. So here's what this means for the Christian. The millisecond you pass away. The millisecond that you die, your spirit immediately, right away, goes up to be in heaven with Jesus. Doesn't get any better than being in his presence in a perfect place, untainted with sin. There's no suffering there at all. The presence of Christ, it doesn't get better than that. You and I were meant, created, designed to be in the presence of Jesus. What a great hope that Christians have. Now, not only do I want to remind you of of that great hope that we have, I also want to challenge you to to think like Paul here about your death. He's he's talking about death. And and chances are good that someday you will die. Unless Christ comes back, you will die. On that happy note, let's explain that. For some Christians, um, some Christians do not die well. Some Christians do not die well. Have you seen this? Uh, they do not represent Jesus well in their dying days or their dying weeks. And it, it's really hard to see. Now, in some cases, like, uh, like with my dad, he had Alzheimer's for 13, 14 years. And so his, his capacity to die well was greatly diminished because, because of what he was facing. His, his brain was in really rough shape. Um, and it was awkward. It was awkward. Um, but I believe he's doing great with Jesus now. He's, his mental capacity has been restored as he's waiting for the resurrection. But for, for most of us, I think it might be fair to say most people, I don't know what the percentages are, uh, will likely face death with 
your full mental capacity or most of it. And we will have, in that moment of death, as we're facing death in those dying days, a choice to make either to represent Christ well or to just forget about it. Let me go back to my step-grandmother, who I talked about earlier. It is Mother's Day. And as I mentioned, she lived a very long time, uh, 103 years. And the last several years were a grind for her. Um, Not only had she lost now two husbands, and she lived a lonely life because of that, but also her her own health in the last few years were, were quite rough. And yet, she never stopped trusting in Christ. She never stopped exuding that smile and choosing joy in Christ, never did, never stopped representing Christ in a, in, a, in a positive way. She honored Christ in her death. To her dying day, she honored Christ in every way. Then I, let me talk about my mom. Now let's, we're getting more specifically connected to Mother's Day. And uh, many of you know that she passed away a couple years ago. She had some brain cancer. And I was in closer proximity to her, her dying days. And uh, she worried at times. There were moments of despair, okay, uh, I'm not going to gloss over that. And uh, she was like, am I going to heaven? And saying some things like that. And so there were some tears. And, and, you know, she didn't want the Lord to take her as soon as he took her because she had grandkids and wanted to spend more time with them. And on and on it went. So there were some tears. Uh, but the, the amazing thing is, despite those moments of despair, uh, she tr- entrusted herself to Christ. Um, it was scary, but she said, I am yours. And she wanted more prayer. She wanted everyone to, who visited her to, to pray for her uh, day in and day out over that multi-week, multi-month period. And it was sort of a long goodbye. And she would just ask for prayer. And she was entrusting herself to uh, the, the hope that she had in Christ and to his care and to his love and to his plan. And she, she died well. She died well. Uh, chances are good. You will die someday. Not yet Christian, if you're not yet there with Christ, maybe today's the day that you start that journey. You start to take the gospel seriously. You're facing death. What's going to happen to me after it? Maybe today's the day you're like, I need to do something. I need to to place my trust in Christ to receive this great hope, to receive this hope of of being in a place that gets no better than, than being in His presence forever. All your sins forgiven, receiving all these gospel gifts. Just open your hands to receive them. And he generously provides all this grace to you through Christ, through your faith in him. Is that what you need to do today on Mother's Day? Or some of you in the room are are Christians. You're you're followers of Jesus. Chances are good. You're going to go someday. And I'm just asking you, have you thought about your death? Have you thought about how you will prepare yourself now to die well in such a way that Jesus will be honored, that the gospel will be preached through your example? Is there some, something that you can plan for and, and prepare yourself for today knowing that someday I'm going to go and it might be a multi-month process, it might be a multi-week process, maybe it's only a multi-day process, but how I die, how can I die in such a way that Christ will be glorified? And at my funeral... At my funeral, the things that are said about me will point people who are there as non-Christians to Christ. Have you thought about that? That what is being said at my funeral, whatever is being said there will point people to Jesus because my example is talked about, my legacy is talked about, and Christ is glorified through that legacy, that 
power, I'm telling you, I've done a few funerals in my day. They are powerful moments where there's a room full of people who are a mix of Christians and non-Christians, and there's our opportunity to speak the gospel into that hard situation. And people are much more open to hearing about Christ at funerals. Have you thought about that? Your future funeral, that Christ will be displayed in terms of how you lived your life in some way. Imperfectly, very imperfectly, okay? But you daily trusted in his grace and forgiveness to live a life that displays the love of Christ. Let's bring it in out there. Let's land that plane. And would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for this hopeful passage and the example of Paul. I pray that you would empower us to pray for those who need deliverance in our lives, that we would point people to you, Jesus, as the ultimate deliverer of of anyone who would trust in you, that you would show us people in our lives who just need help from health emergencies or uh, Christian persecution, whatever uh, deliverance that they, they require right now. I pray that you would use us, Lord, to do work for you that is filled with courage and is filled with fruitful ministry. And Lord, I pray that we would be thinking about our last days and help us to prepare for that. Lord, we would have nothing without your gospel, and it's your table today that we come to to remind us of all that you've done for us, Lord Jesus, and we love you for it, and we celebrate you for it, and we worship you for laying down your life for our sins in our place and rising from death three days later. You alone earned salvation for us, and we are grateful. Through Christ we pray. Amen. So now we're going to transition, and we're going to respond to God's word in three ways. We're going to sing a couple more worship songs. We are going to uh, participate in the offering time, which is a way of us just giving back to the mission of Jesus with our finances. And we're going to participate in the taking of the Lord's Supper uh, at this time. And we invite any and all Christians to participate in the taking of the Lord's Supper with us. And uh, let me just read some brief scripture to get our minds and hearts thinking of the sacrifice of Christ. Luke twenty-two nineteen and 20 say, And he, Jesus, took bread. And when he had given them And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So with that, I'll turn it over to the servers and to Brian.